Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, friends, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go verses 27 through 30 today, and we're going to talk about adultery. We're going to really get down to the heart of the matter, and I've heard... I've heard this topic preached on a bunch. Uh, you know, you probably have shown up to church a time or two and heard a message about lust or adultery, staying pure in our minds and our hearts. I think this is going to be a little bit, not a, not a different message, but maybe a different approach than what you've heard before. And so uh, let us begin with recalling last week. Last week we talked about anger, right? We talked about unrighteous anger and that our hearts, Jesus is all about the heart, as you recall, and he's inviting us to look inside of ourselves, not just to look on the outside. What am I doing? What are the results of my life? Those are all really important things. But getting to the heart of the matter, you guys have heard the old saying, the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter, right? It's been said before, tons and tons of times. It's all about, it starts inside of us. Everything you see on the outside begins on the inside. So Jesus is after our hearts. We talked about how our hearts are a factory where things are made. Sometimes even an idol factory, as Calvin once said. He said that our hearts are constantly making idols, things that we put in the place of God that ought not be there. We're always having to watch our hearts, guard our hearts from that idolatry. And then we talked about how our hearts are kind of like a Petri dish. Remember that illustration where we said, Petri dishes are where things grow, where, where good things can grow, but also bad things can grow. And they're a place where, where things are tested, where our hearts are tested. But today I want to bring you another metaphor for the heart that we haven't really talked about yet, but it definitely applies today. And it's that our hearts are a home. Your heart is a home. Your heart is a home where you, you choose what to allow inside of your home. And that's how it is with the house that you live in. And that's how it is with this fancy thing here I called a spare key. And we have some spare keys. And if I give a spare key to someone, it means that I trust them. It means that even when my door is locked, even when no one else is allowed in my home, even when my home is the most vulnerable it could possibly be, you are allowed in. You may enter my home. And what Jesus is drawing his hearers to hear and drawing us to this morning through the power of his word is that fact is that our hearts are a home and we oftentimes make decisions to allow things into the heart home that do not belong. And Jesus is calling it out and saying, hey, we need to take a look at that. And it may be today for some of us in the room, it's an eviction notice. It's, hey, you need to get out of this home. You're not allowed here anymore. I've been allowing it for some time, but I'm not cool with that anymore. You're moving out. And I would encourage you to make that eviction immediately. And so will Jesus. And so let's just look at a couple of observations here. You can write the first one down. We've just got two main observations to be handles for us today to grab a hold of. The first one is this. We sin in our hearts before we sin with our hands. Write that down today. If you're taking notes, I would highly encourage it. Kiddos, you have your note sheets as well. Feel free to jot that in there. We'll, we'll leave it up there for you. We sin with our hearts before we sin with our hands. It's true. Again, what is on the inside shows up on the outside. 
A little bit of context, because I know um, not all of us have been here for every week of the series. This is the fifth episode. And so I just want to bring everybody up to speed. Jesus is telling the people listening to him in his most famous sermon he ever preached. He's saying, you guys are so obsessed with the outside and how this looks. And he's saying, you've got to get obsessed with the inside and let the outside take care of itself. The outside will be what it's going to be if you take care of the inside. Okay, so I just want to give you all time to jot that down, get us on the same page. You know, we often reduce sin to what we do on the outside, but Jesus makes it clear sin is rooted actually in who we are and our identity. It has to do with our identity. So what does Jesus say in 527? Let's take a look at chapter 5, verse 27. And Jesus says this. He starts it off the same way he started off last week. He says, you've heard that it was said, and what, is, what are people aware of? Do not commit adultery. This is from the Ten Commandments. This is, this is the next commandment in line after do not murder. This is the one right beside it. Do not commit adultery. He says, you, you guys know this. And they're all nodding their heads. Yes, yes, we've heard that, Jesus. We know. Actually, many of the religious elite there, they were like, oh, we know. We know what the law says. Then Jesus says these words. Listen, but I tell you, which Again, he's not appealing to anyone else's authority but his own. This is a clear claim to deity, to him being God in the flesh. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus is drawing people. Let's get down to the roots of it all. Jesus And what he's about to do in verses 27, actually through 32, and we're going to stop a little short at 30 today, not because I'm trying to avoid a sermon about divorce, okay? We're going to to get there, Um, but I could not uh, preach what I'm going to preach today and and do uh, the topic of divorce justice, and so we're actually going to do that next week. We're we're going to spend a whole sermon on two verses and Matthew 19, where Jesus goes uh, more into detail about that. But bringing it back to the, the root, What is at the foundation of all this? It's the sanctity of marriage. It's the holiness of marriage. Jesus says that this covenant of marriage, we have a covenant God, friends. Our God makes a covenant with his people. And a covenant is a love agreement. It is not a contract. It's a covenant. A covenant is what marriage is. It's why we wear these rings for those of you that are married in the room. And we say, this this is A, a big deal, B, this is rooted in love and not obligation. And then C, this is intended to be a permanent bond. This is intended to be something that is going, as long as my life is on this earth, it's going to last. And that's why these rings are in a circle. That's why the pastor at your wedding may say it's a circle because circles never have an ending point. It's meant to be forever. And so the sanctity of marriage, one man, one woman, unbroken covenant relationship for the rest of their lives committed to one another. That's how our Bibles start, right? When Adam and Eve were made, they became one flesh. God performed the first marriage ceremony. And so This is a picture of God's relationship to us. He's faithful. He's our God. He's our Lord, our Savior, our friend, our creator, our sustainer. He doesn't forsake us. Adultery at its root is abandoning the covenant made in marriage. So I want to draw it back down to the foundation to make that point. And just to to point out also that in the Old Testament, the response to adultery, it was the death penalty, 
And I know in our context here today, we have different feelings about the death penalty. Maybe we have, maybe some of us think that it should be allowed. Maybe we think it should be up to the states or whatever. And we have our different opinions. But back then in God's law, it was punishable by death. Now, why? Because it was that big of a deal. And let's be honest, friends, today in our culture, just in mainstream culture, as we exist in this world, adultery is not that big of a deal. You remember the news story that came out a while ago with the news anchors that were having the affair with one another. And they're both like super famous. And they're literally still having the affair. Everyone's talking about it. They're still doing the news together. And then, and then you find out not only they have an affair with each other, they're also, they're also with other people as well. And it's just this big mess. And it's just, let's just be honest for a second. We're at church this morning. Let's be honest. It's not uncommon to open up our phones, to look at the news, to look at social media, and to see adultery. It's just not. We're just like, yeah, that's the world we live in. And when the Ten Commandments were being presented, oh, trust me, there was adultery. But it was a different world. It was a different context, and it was taken much more seriously. This shows us how much God cares about this sin. Let's look at five quick reasons. We're going to put them up here. I'm just going to read through them. not going to preach every single point of why adultery is harmful. I know that we all agree that it's harmful, that we would say, yeah, that's bad. But why, like, what's the big deal? Well, first of all, adultery is turning away from a promise. Remember what I said a second ago? It's abandoning a covenant, which is not God's design for our relationships. Number two, adultery leads the adulterer from security to chaos. Have you ever thought about that before? That that's what adultery does, that that's what different sins do. They take, see, God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. God designed things on purpose. He, he made these rules not to spoil our fun, but because he said, this is how life works best. When, when, when you do things God's way, when you do things, God says, when you, when you do things my way, this is how things work best. Parents, you know, you tell your children this, hey, if you do what I'm asking you to do, it will go well for you. And when we abandon that, we go from order, from peace to chaos. And look at the lives of those caught up in adultery or adulterous after adulterous relationship. It's chaos. And look no further than A-list Hollywood actors, right? You've seen it on the tabloids. The next one is that adultery is secretive and dishonest. It's, it's the opposite of integrity. That not taking integrity seriously will lead you down a path towards adultery. If we don't value our integrity, if we don't watch the home of our hearts, we'll find ourselves doing things that we never thought that we would do. And there are a lot of people that wind up in these relationships, abandoning their marriage, and they went like, it didn't start out that way. Like it, did, it started out with something that seemed honestly kind of innocent. It seemed like, man, everybody does that. I mean, everybody has an occasional look. Everybody, everybody has a fantasy. I mean, come on, you know, everybody thinks about that. And it evolves into destruction. But it's secretive, it's dishonest, it's particularly shameful. There's, no, there's hardly any other sin that feels so shameful than adultery. And that's just a distinctive. The next one, adultery destroys everyone involved and affected. It's not just about you. The false lie of the devil is my sin is my sin. And it's just not true. But I do that in private, so it doesn't affect anyone else. Wrong. You're letting someone into your home to rule over it that's not Christ, that's not Jesus, and you're allowing 
that person who really is Satan, the enemy of God, the adversary of God and anyone that would want to follow him or do anything great for God, and we're allowing the adversary to rule our hearts, he's the head of the household. And remember, it destroys everyone involved. It, we, we all know this, but we need to be reminded of this. We need to have a sobering reminder this morning that it doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone around you. Your heart will show up in your hands, in your words, in your actions, and it will lead to destruction. The last one is that if, if that's true, then the last point follows, adultery destroys entire societies. Think about it. If families are broken, if it's normal, now, now it's coin flip, divorce. Coin flip, divorce. Urban areas, it's more like 70 or 80% likely that a child's gonna grow up. Chicago, it's more like 90% likely that a child's gonna grow up without a daddy or a mama because of this or that. Unplanned pregnancies, um, you know, uh, divorce or different things like that, just all kinds of different reasons. And so if we do not take adultery seriously, if we do not get down to the root of what Jesus is gonna tell us in a second, if we don't take this message seriously, it actually affects the entire society, which is why our country is in the shape that it's in right now. And it's always been a problem, but it's especially a problem now. And so let's get back to what Jesus said. Can we put 28 back up there, Savannah? But I tell you, everyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying, just because you haven't committed full-blown adultery doesn't mean you're out of the woods. Just like last week, just because you haven't killed anybody doesn't mean that when you're angry that it is not sinful. Well, at least I'm not doing that approach, right? Have you ever found yourself saying that? I know I have at certain points. Well, I'm not doing that. And if you ever use the word technically, this is a little bit of uh, free advice, but really I didn't come up with it. It's, it's, it's founded in God's word. Um, if you ever find yourself saying technically about something and you're trying to justify something you're doing, you're like, well, technically, the devil loves technically. He loves it. He's like a lawyer, okay? If you find your inner lawyer getting jazzed up to try to justify what you're doing, you may want to look at it again and just decide. And my policy is if I have to lawyer up about something, then I don't, I don't do it because I shouldn't have to justify righteousness to someone. I just let it speak for itself. Hey, I'm just doing, hey, I'm just doing what he said. If there's a gray area, I tend to err on the side of not doing it, <laughs> if I'm not sure. If there's some kind of, well, it doesn't say, maybe this or that, I'm gonna err on the side of caution. I would encourage you to do the same thing. So lustfully, so what's he talking about? Everyone who looks at a woman or, or man, so w- women, you're not off the hook. I mean, this is for both of us today. Everyone who looks at another image bearer of God lustfully, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word is epithumeo, and it means desire a long for, or that other 10 commandments word, covet. Ah, so now we're getting to the root of the sin, friends. Lean into this. The root of the sin of lust is not being a pervert. It's coveting. It's the fact that here's, at its most basic level, God has given me this. That's not good enough. I need something more. That's what this unholy desire is. And we have to remember that in those moments when we are tempted to lust after anything, whether it's another person you're not married to, whether it is power, whether it is uh, um, prestige or position or any other thing that, that, that God has said no to. And we go, but God, I want that. 
In fact, I think I need, in fact, you say I don't need it, I do need it, so we're calling God a what? A liar, because God tells us what we need. And the attitude of the psalmist in the 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And so it's about coveting. And this Greek word helps us understand that. So when we look at something lustfully, we say, I must have that at all costs. Now, do we all think that every, every single time that lust happens? Probably not. And in fact, if you've made a habit out of it, it's probably just a knee-jerk reaction. And so what we want is our, our knee-jerk reactions to be things that would glorify God and not things that would actually put a barrier between us and God, take us further from God and cause chaos and destruction in our lives, hurt ourselves, the home of our hearts and others. And so root sins. Now think about a time in all the Bible, let's just, let's just put our heads together here. When in the Bible was there a desire for something that man and woman should not have? Did it take very long in the story to get there? Genesis chapter three, right? The fall, when Adam and Eve are in the garden and it's the, and it's the fruit, it was the only tree. There were all these other trees. And this, this is the off limits tree. And they were tempted and they took the fruit you gave it to her husband, and they ate the fruit. So this is how this is this is a fundamental sin for how everything got started. God said, "This is what's best for you." Man said, "No thanks, God. I got it. I'll decide what's good for me." And what does our world today say? What culture do we live in? In our you do you culture, right? Nobody gets to tell me what's good for me. I'll I'll decide that. In fact, you can't even tell me what's true for me. So now truth is off the table. That's a scary place to be. It's not ultimately scary because God is in charge. He's sovereign. He's going to work all this out. But it's an unsettling place to be at least, right? And so we need God's word. We need his loving truth in our life to help us. And so what lens do I see people through? Can I ask you that question today? Just ask yourself that question. And I'm asking myself this question too. What lens do I see people through? I think about my contacts that are in my eye right now. How many of you wear contacts? Any, anybody? Contacts, eye, eye lenses. Wow, we got some good eyesight in the room. All right, good. So this, this thing is powerful because it's just a little piece of flimsy. I mean, I don't know if you've ever held one before, but they're very, well, soft lenses, of course. They're very soft. They're, very, they're actually very delicate. You can rip one in half super easy. Ask me how I know. And you, you, you put it right over your eye and it changes everything. Everything you see, why? Because it's the closest thing to your eye. It's literally covering it. So let me ask you a question. Ask me a question. What lens are you putting over your eye? And I want to lovingly encourage slash challenge us this morning to let this be the lens that we see everything through. God's truth, God's word. Not our own opinions, not our feelings and emotions. Not our perceptions. Our perceptions are dangerous. You heard the term perception is reality, right? And there's a grain of truth to that that's wise to remember how someone perceives something. That's how they really think that things are, but it's not always true. This is always true. And that's why we open it every Sunday morning. That's why I don't uh, go, go home and just think, man, what am, what am I going to talk about next week? Man, I better come up with something cute and clever and and I better, I better have a really funny story and, you know, all these different things. And it's like, guys, if we don't stick to the word, we're in bad shape. And that's why we're always going to open this book. That's why I'm always just going to, I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said. 
and and I'm just gonna point us to him. How we look at another person that bears the image of God has massive implications for our relationship with God and with others. So here's a convicting question for us all. Do you conceal lust in your heart but count yourself righteous because you've never followed through? Do we conceal it because we've never followed through? Are we nursing something in our hearts that don't belong? Friends, for some of us in the room, it's time for an eviction. And we're gonna get to strategy here in a second. I wanna encourage you to act today. Gazing, lingering, that look that turns someone else, man or woman, into an object. See, that's what lust does. It takes a human being, dignity, value, worth, made in the image of God, and turns them into an object to be enjoyed for a moment and then discarded when you're done. That's what's happening. And so we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that. And instead of lusting when someone is looked upon, how about praying for them? Okay? When you're at the coffee shop working and that person walks in and you notice they're very attractive and you find yourself looking again, you may need to go sit somewhere else. You might even need to leave. It's worth it. We ought not nurse things inside of our heart. Maybe there are some apps that need to go away. Maybe there are some different things. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're gonna talk about strategy in a second. But lust is rooted in this fantasy played out in the mind. It's the illusion of safety. Hey, it's not, I'm not acting anything out. It's okay, it's just in my mind. Everything begins in your mind and in your heart. And so um, Jesus, when he says, we, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in the heart. He's talking about many different things. He's not talking about just forsaking your marriage. He's talking about a variety of immorality within that category. But here's the second truth this morning. And this, this is gonna take us home this morning. Ready? We must have a battle plan. We must, friends, we must have a battle plan to win the battleground in our hearts. We're gonna look at two more verses together. Before we do, just know this, that our hearts are valuable territory to the devil. We said that earlier. But a captured heart, you think about battle, a captured heart equals defeat. And ultimately, slavery to sin. The Bible says that when the devil occupies our heart, when he makes his home in our heart, that we are slaves to sin, that we must sin. And actually, something else happens, that we even have like this appetite where we start desiring those things. And what God is always trying to do, friends, he's always trying to, when when we give our lives to Christ and he gives us a new heart, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, he begins to change your appetite. And it might not happen all at once. You might have to address different areas at different times in different ways. But step by step, God is changing your appetite. I've used this illustration before, but it's just, it's so plain and simple, easy for us to understand. It's like when you're a kid and you enjoyed that snack, that now when you go and try to eat it, it grosses you out. You're like, I can't believe I ever enjoyed a banana twin. I can't believe I ever enjoyed ketchup sandwiches. I'm talking about myself. Um, Yeah, that's right, ketchup sandwiches. Pray for me. Um, you know, I don't know what that was for you. You know, whether it's a fruit roll-up. Some of y'all are like, don't talk about fruit roll-ups. I still eat those. But um, our, our appetite changes. If you were used to drinking sodas, but then you gave up soda, and then you went back to Coke and tried it again, it was like drinking diesel fuel, right? Like you didn't realize how much sugar was in it. All these things. God is shifting our appetite to things that are good for us, the things that are holy. Let's look at these couple of verses. Let's ask ourselves the question, well, what do we do with the temptation? Well, here's what Jesus says. In verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, 
gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. All right, gloves are off now. And what Jesus tells us, don't miss this. Jesus tells us eternity is at stake. This sin uniquely, more than just about any other sin out there, leads people straight to hell. It honestly does. Jesus doesn't say this out of hate. He says this out of love. He says this as a warning. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody. Jesus talked about hell more than a lot of other topics in the Bible. And people today want to minimize the reality of hell, but Jesus wants to amplify it because he doesn't want anyone in this room or anyone in this world to go there. 2 Peter 3.9 actually says that God's desire is that all should repent and that none should perish. And so... What's Jesus' suggestion? The suggestion is for us to have a battle plan and to do something about it. I can remember um, having an issue in my home. It was the first time I'd ever owned a home. Any new homeowners in the room? Anybody just, just, just now owning a house for the first time? Anybody? Dylan, you just bought a house. There we go. All right, good stuff. <laughs> Sorry. I was at least waiting on you to raise your hand. All right. Um, and I know Randall's have a, have a new home, and you know some of us have moved here to Plant Anchor. We've only had our houses for a couple of years. So yeah, there are a lot of new homeowners in the room. Anyway, I can remember when we first got there, and we thought everything was pretty good, but then the first night, right out of the kitchen, comes crawling something that sent our family into a panic. Have you guys ever... Had the, oh, I, I think I had a picture there. Do I not have a picture more? Yeah, there we go. Ooh, yeah, and the instant reaction, right? Oh, man. Yeah, these things are uniquely, uniquely disgusting. And just when they come around, you're just like, ooh, can't stand it. And I remember seeing one, and then we saw two, and we saw three. And you never want to be like the house that has roaches because you feel like guilty. You're like, yeah, we, you're like you want to try to hide it because it just, it just feels gross to have them. And you know they're a problem. And so, you know, we get out some different, I, I tried some home remedies, tried some borax, tried some different things. You kind of read online, some home remedies, and none of them worked. And there were just more roaches. Let me just read you a couple of things about roaches. And then we're, and, and we're going to read through it again. Roaches, roaches are common pests that can be difficult to get rid of. They breed rapidly and infestations spread quickly. Did you guys know that? Yeah, those are, those are pretty common things about roaches. Now, let me just take the word roaches out and put sin. Sin is a common pest that can be difficult to get rid of. It breeds rapidly and infestations spread quickly. Is that true? Yeah. Roaches will infest areas that offer them ample food, water, Shelter. I found this out the hard way because we removed everything except for our sink was wet at night. We were not wiping our sink dry. Roaches get thirsty. They go and they drink the water in your sink. Did you know that? So if you're leaving your sink wet after you do the dishes, you're inviting roaches to come and hang out and have a swim party or at least drink some water. Sin will infest areas that offer them ample food, water, and shelter. When you do that, it triggers allergies, spreads disease, and makes a home unsanitary. You guys get in the picture? I could read lots more roach facts. I won't. Sin is just like this. And if you say, 
I've got roaches, but I'm just going to leave it alone and they'll just go away on their own. No, they're just going to keep having more roach babies and more roach eggs. And you're going to end up with more roaches. You're going to end up with a huge problem. Termites, same way. It's like pest control, friends. And sometimes we need an expert to come in and help. We got an expert. Jesus said, if this is you, you better have a battle plan. And the battle plan is just a few simple steps. Jesus says, A, this is, this is the first thing Jesus says. He says, remove the source of the sin. This is what he's talking about. He says, cut off your, it, if your eyes causing a problem, then gouge it out. Now, Jesus is speaking hyperbolic. He does this a lot. He exaggerates to make a point. We all do this. We, we, we all exaggerate a statement or a story to prove a point. And Jesus is saying, he's not literally saying gouge your eye out, okay? Because you can gouge your eye out, chop, you can have no hands, no eyes, and still be full of lust. Because the heart did not change. You're changing the external. So what Jesus is saying is correct, but he's not saying literally do these things. He's saying that you need to be drastic about the way that you handle the sin of lust and adultery in your life. This is not a casual stroll of getting over something. That means for maybe a little while, you need to have a dumb phone. That means maybe for a little while, this gets unsubscribed. That means maybe for a long while, Maybe your night owl routines need, need to change. Maybe an increase of accountability would be a good idea for all of us. We all need to be accountable to someone. There are all kinds of strategies for the battle, but we need to have one. And I have found the best success with this in all my ministry and in, in watching people walk away from adulterous behavior and immorality of all kinds in this particular category by having someone else walk through them with it being humble enough to say, hey, I need help, and I need someone to help me think through some steps that would be good. And it's someone who will actually text me in love and say, hey, man, you going to bed soon? Hey, man, phone, is the phone docked? Hey, um, how, did, how did today go? We're asking about it. Removal of the source of sin. The second is guardrails. Guardrails, we've talked about it, but we gotta have guardrails for the heart. Remember last week, Proverbs 4, guard your heart for from it comes all of life, flows the springs of life. This is the preventative. And we have this picture here to kind of just remind us of what this looks like. We've got a little uh, plan here. Can we, can we throw that picture up there? All right, this is, this is what you call defense. All right, this is a football play. For those of you that don't, it's, it's Super Bowl day, so I figured we'd toss that in there. Can you think about if a football team didn't, didn't have a plan like this? Hey, guys, just go stand out on the field. There's like 11 of you. Just figure it out. There's the ball. Don't let the ball cross the goal line. You'll, you'll win if they do that less than you. Good luck. Coaches leave, all right, and still make millions of dollars. We gotta have a battle plan. So friends, let me ask you in love today, for this particular sin, what is your plan? Who's helping you make it? This is a plan of defense. These are guardrails. What we tend to do is we tend to wait until after there's an infestation, after all of that, and then we've got a huge problem on our hand. We've had a whole losing season, and then, we've got a, and then we need like a whole new playbook, right? But if that's where you're at, then that's where we're at. And we just need to be honest and say, hey, I need, a, I need a whole new playbook. 
I need to revamp some things. I need to repent and come back to Christ and submit this area of my life again. I've been nursing secret sin and I, I need to come back. And when you come back like that and when you repent and when you begin to walk in Jesus' way again, this is what's gonna happen, ready? Healthy relationships. Healthy relationships, and this is a nourishment to you. A nourishment to the home of your heart. Your relationship with God and others is drastically affected. In fact, it's directly proportional to your obedience in this particular sin area. And this is what the battle plan looks like for this investing in healthy relationships, ready? This is what I call our offense. Sometimes we think about the guardrails and the defense, but we don't think about the offense. We don't, we, don't, we don't think about moving the ball down the field in this area. Well, how can I just make sure I never lust? How can I make sure I never do adultery? That's good. That's a great thing to do. We need to have a battle plan for that. But how can I move the ball down the court? How can I advance the kingdom of God? How can I honor God with every single thing I do? See, I have found that as I pursue this, that the guardrails are much easier. When I have healthy relationships in my life, when, I have, um, when my relationship with God is tight, when the ball is moving down the field towards the goal line, which essentially is to draw near to God and advance his kingdom in this world, to live out your God-given purpose, to be saved from your sin, to be renewed, redeemed, sanctified, to be made more like Jesus, and then to pursue his kingdom agenda. As I do that, the other thing we were just talking about gets a little easier. We still need that defensive strategy but as we're pushing the ball down the field, think about it. If a team was only good at defense, but they never scored, they wouldn't win. You still need a good offense. So we do offense and defense. Let me, let me put it in biblical terms. We need a sword. The Bible's called a sword. It's the sword of the spirit. So we swing our swords. That's why we memorize scripture, friends. We're not just trying to win Bible trivia. We're trying to give ourselves a weapon. And your worship, we're about to worship in a second. Your worship is a weapon. That's why we sing, because something powerful happens when, when people gather together and sing true things about God and his mission, his salvation, and all these things. Dark, darkness is pushed back. That's why God gave us those singing voices and those, and those proclaiming voices to spread his truth. Jesus makes, this, makes it clear that eternity is at stake with this sin. And for today, some need to surrender to Jesus this morning for the first time. Maybe you've been in church for a while. Maybe you've come to many different services. Maybe you've been involved with church for a long time. But if you're really honest, you're like, I'm not really surrendered to Jesus. I mean, I'm down with the whole Savior thing, but I need to give my life to him as Lord. I need to follow him. I need to submit to him and surrender. If that's you this morning, you can do that. You can pray to him during this response time and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. I need you to come in my life and save me, forgive me of my sin, and give me a fresh start. Help, help me follow you. you. You just pray your own prayer like that. And give your life to him this morning. Trust in him for your salvation and what he did on the cross for you. And then for some of us, our next step this morning is simply this. It's to remember your identity in Christ. Remember I said sin is tied to who you are? And so we need to remember that for someone in Christ, for someone that has new life, Paul says it all the time. He's like, hey, there's some of you Christians that have really drifted off the side of the road with this. We need to come back because this this behavior is not worthy of the calling that, that you've been given. And, um, and friends, I just, I just love you enough. Man, if you're a Christian in the room and you're following Jesus, I love you enough to always call you back to that. We're never going to, um, like there, there's some churches that have decided, like we're not gonna use the word sin in our, in our churches. That's negative. 
and we're only going to use positive words, and we're only, we're only going to use uplifting words. And I never, we never talk about sin here to beat anyone down, but we just always want to be honest. And we're all, I think we all need to be honest and just say, you know what? There is sin that I struggle with, and I want to surrender that to Jesus. I need his help. That's why we need a Savior, friends. If we didn't struggle with sin, Jesus dying on the cross would be for nothing. And so we come to him this morning. We say, Jesus, I need you. Just tell him that during this response time. Everyone in here has a response during this time. And as the band comes and leads us in another song, it just says, God, I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to draw near to you. I'm just praying that not only will we think of our hearts as a home in terms of, hey, um, we need to think about what we're inviting in to live in, in our hearts as a home, but then we would also think of Jesus as our home. The Bible presents him as a home. Hebrews 4 says that Jesus is our rest. You know what a home is, right? A home is a place of rest. When you get home, oh man, I can take off the shoes, I can lay on the couch, see my wife or my husband or, my, or, or your cat or your dog, whoever, whoever brings you, your kids. Just, you know, I'm home. And maybe some of us this morning just need to come home to Christ. Just let him be your home, your place of satisfaction. Just stop letting other things satisfy you in a way they were never intended to and let Jesus be your full satisfaction. So can I pray for us this morning? God, I lift up every heart in this room. Every heart in this room is important to me and important to our church. I pray that you would rule over every heart in this room, God. I pray that you would draw everyone near to you and that they would that they would also draw near to you in the same way and that there would just be a relationship with you that would change lives. I pray that every person here would do a heart inventory this morning and ask, God, are we honoring you in the area of lust and adultery in our life? And if we feel like we are, how are those guardrails doing? God, we need your help setting up these guardrails. We, we are not wise in our core, but you are. We are not pure at our core, but you are. And Jesus, we need your help. We need to know what your wisdom is, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And not to see them as, as these just rules for rules sake, but Lord, help our hearts chase after your heart. For you have sought after our hearts to save. And God, now we seek after your heart to worship because we have been saved and redeemed Lord, you tell us in Galatians 5, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to sin, but instead to walk by the Spirit. For the Spirit is life and peace. The way of the flesh leads to death, but the, the way of the Spirit is life and peace. So Lord, bring life and peace to this place as we respond to you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, amen. Let's stand to our feet, friends, and let's just respond to God. Just pour out your heart to him. You can pray, you can sing, you can sit and reflect for a moment if you want. However the Lord is leading you this morning, respond to Him. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.